Hey, everybody. Welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct. First of all, I apologize for the poor audio quality here, but unfortunately, Sean is in Philadelphia for the NHL Awards, and I am galvanting across the country dealing with the wonderful bands of Metal Blade Records as the summertime is extremely busy with touring and album cycles and et cetera, et cetera. So you'll just have to deal with most of us being on the phone, but hopefully the witty banter will make up for the lack of audio quality. Anyway, uh, of course, I'm Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, and as always, Sean Work from NHL.com is with us as well. How are you, Sean? Doing wonderful, man. Fantastic. Philadelphia in the summertime, what's better than that, right? Uh, there you go. Uh, what? <laughs> All right, I I hear that that the, the searing twinge of sarcasm there. I like it. Um, so the NHL playoffs are now over, as we all know. And as I predicted, the LA Kings won the Stanley Cup. Yes, exactly as you predicted. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't predict it, but see, this is the deal with the Kings. If I predict that they are going to win in the playoffs, they lose. And I predict they're going to lose in the playoffs, they win. Like, I thought they were going to lose in 2012, and I figured they would lose this year just out of uh, reverse psychology, so it worked. Oh, so you had a plan all along, huh? Well, not really, but that's kind of the way it worked out. Well, at least for the finals, I did that. And also because everybody else was picking the Kings to win, I figured I should be the guy. I should be the Don Jameson of the of the mental misconduct show and go against the grain that everybody else picks, because that's what Don does on the that metal show when everybody else picks the whatever the re- greatest record was, he has to pick the other one. So <laughs> it's good to have a stick, I guess. So I, I took the I took the I took the bullet. There you go. Well, it's worth it because your team won. So and it's been it's been quite a march that night for the last week, huh? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of I missed out on a lot of it. Unfortunately, I, I had a friend of mine that had a ticket to the. Uh, the the big L Staples Center big cup victory party thing, and I couldn't go because it was during the day, and I just had so much stuff going on that day. And then and then he ended up going to Jimmy Kimmel with the with the guys right afterwards, so I missed out on that. I missed out on a lot of things actually post Stanley Cup. Um, to give you an example, uh, my good friend Lars Ulrich from Metallica was at Game Five of Stanley Cup Finals. I went to all five games in person, by the way, at the finals. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. So anyway, I was walking in between periods, and I get a text from Lars saying, uh, you just walked right past me. I'm like, what? What's he doing here? Because they've been playing over in Europe for the summer. So it turns out he was in a suite right behind where where we were sitting. So I uh, talked to him for a little while afterwards, and we were debating on whether to stick around in downtown L.A. or try to get out, just, just in case people rioted, because in L.A., when sports teams win, people like to riot, especially in downtown LA. So, obviously, Kings fans are a little bit different than Laker fans, maybe because the Lakers won last time. They were burning down the city, so we decided to get out of there and go down to Hermosa Beach, which is where generally things should be happening. And it was pretty dead there. So, and then I getting then I'm getting texts from Laura showing him with the cup and the whole thing. So I kind of I kind of blew that as well. Yeah, that's a. It, it's it's kind of shocking that they would stay there. Usually they try and blow out as quickly as possible, but I, I guess from everything, from all the reports I've gotten, it was a, it was a pretty good time. 
Yeah, I mean, I could have. Well, part of my problem, too, was that I was, obviously, I was in New York for games three and four, and then we had a show that I had to go to on the Thursday night. And then all this weather was coming into New York City on Friday. So the only way that I could get out and get back in time to see the game was to leave at a 7 a.m. New York time flight, which is 4 a.m. West Coast time flight. And to get up to get to the airport, I had to get up at basically 1 a.m. West Coast time and fly all day. And we were still delayed an hour and a half. But anyway, I made it back and uh, with not much sleep. So I knew because everybody's telling me that the cup was going to end up at this bar, the North End in Hermosa Beach. And I live fairly close to that place. So uh, I was debating whether to go over there, but I was so wiped out by about midnight. that like, I don't think I could stay up two more hours to, to deal with it. So I just uh, didn't make it. But uh, anyway, it looked like everybody had a good time down here. I did go to the, uh, the, the beach uh, parade that they had down here. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, so, that's kind of that's kind of a new wrinkle that they added in, and that looked awesome. Yeah, they did it last time too, actually. So they did it again this time because they all the kings live down there, and you know I moved down here to the South Bay about uh, well, I guess officially a year ago, but probably about a year and a half or you know almost two years ago now. And it's really it's really incredible down here because you know living in LA for my entire life and being a huge hockey fan, they, we are few and far between. Uh, it's getting a lot better as, as the Kings have gotten better, obviously. But it's weird down here in the South, man. Like everything around here is all Kings, Kings shirts, Kings shirt banners, Kings everything. I mean, you know, you were down here, uh, staying down yeah. part of the playoffs, so you kind of saw. There's actually there's actually a bit of a hockey vibe in LA down here, which is really cool. Yeah, they got into some trouble during the. Oh, you're probably you're not talking about the same bar as the Chicago bar, right? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> but it's uh, but it's amazing, and and look for all those people that. Uh, say LA is not a hockey town we had I don't know if any other cities ever done this before I mean maybe there have been but we had both times the Kings won the cup we had not one parade but two parades that's how amazing it is down here what other cities had two big parades none and none of them were in a parking lot that's what uh, we always get made fun of where I live so uh, the Devils had their they're all theirs in a parking lot in the parking lot yeah well Welcome to New Jersey, I suppose. But anyway, uh, it's a uh, fun time. But so people were saying, and, you know, I mean, I tend to agree. I mean, I was lucky enough to, like I said, be at all five games in person, and they were pretty intense games. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the writers and, and everybody, you know, are saying that these are some of the best, I guess, not only the best finals in a long time, or, you know, some people are saying, you know, one of the best finals ever, uh, but certainly the best, one of the best playoff rounds in, in a long time. Which I kind of feel that too, but some of the old timers were saying that you know they really felt this was this was this was up there. Yeah, you know, I, I, it was a great series to watch. Um, I just never felt like it was a competitive series. I mean, there were three overtime games involved, and everybody keeps on saying that you know one bounced another way, and we're playing into Game Seven. But I always felt like the Kings were just kind of waiting around and trying to figure out when they wanted to start playing hockey. And then once they did, you know, it, it was completely lopsided. I mean, when you look at the third period and beyond, because there were so many overtimes, a couple of double overtimes, and then the regular one overtime, um, the shot differential was like, for the five games, was like 73 to 15. And, and, the, and the Raiders got, I think it was nine of those 15 shots in one game. Um, 
So in the other four games, they managed like six shots in the third period in overtime. The the game that they won, they got one shot in the third period. Um, you know, I, I just, when the Kings wanted to play, and they didn't always want to play, I think they were worn down from that Chicago series. But when they wanted to play and they knew they needed to play, they were in a completely different class than the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, it shows you how good Lundqvist was. And definitely the games were, were very close. I think that's why people were talking about it, because there, was, there wasn't a lot of real drama, per se, but the games were, you know, I mean, almost every game's going in overtime, and there's really only the one game, the 3 nothing game in New York that the Kings kind of dominated. But certainly, you know, Lundqvist played, uh, you know, when I look back on it now, and you know, you talk about the stats that you mentioned as well, I mean, he was just playing really pretty unbelievable hockey. Oh, he was fantastic. And, and, and they played an entertaining brand of hockey. You know, the two teams I thought matched up well. It was fast. Um, there was some physicality to it, but it wasn't, it wasn't out of control. Um, you know, it was, it, it was entertaining hockey. There was no, there was very little clutching and grabbing. There was very little, uh, trying to cause things up through the neutral zone. I mean, the Rangers tried to do it on a rare occasion that they had a lead, but, you know, for the most part, the game was played at a pretty, at a pretty rapid pace. And was entertaining to watch. Like there was never a time when you were watching that series and you're like, ah, this isn't all that interesting because the games were always so close that it was always interesting. And they played what you, I guess you would call the, the quote unquote right way for a fan to enjoy the game. You know, there was there was no there was no trying to really slow the game down and and make it quicksand in the middle of the ice. They really wanted to play hockey. Yeah, it was it was exciting. It was very exciting. Yeah, because that you know you you don't want to see some of those defensive things. I mean, you know, to me, some of the best finals ever. Although I you know did not attend them. Certainly, you know, we go back to Edmonton and you know the Islanders and and Pittsburgh and some of those teams were just you just look at the players on the lineups in some of those teams and they're they're pretty stacked. But the Kings are you know Kings are impressive. I mean, the scary thing is they're so young and I mean they've they've got everybody resigned for next year except for Willie Mitchell so far, which is impressive. And I was happy to see Dustin Brown win the Mark Messier Leadership Award because that poor guy gets maligned. I mean, there's so many articles written about him during the playoffs about like, guys, you know, he, how is this guy the captain? And he doesn't really do much. He's not an offensive guy. You know, you look at Jonathan Taves or Sidney Crosby, like those are the classic captains. But, you know, Brown, I mean, he, I mean, he, when he need, when the team needs a lift, he's definitely there. He's, you know, he's kind of become, he's definitely becoming the heart and soul of that team, and look, the guy's got two cups in three years, so you can't really argue with that. No, and you know, he actually, uh, I thought he was great, and he's really good with that team. He's one of those guys, I, I don't think, you know, he, he's a raw, raw guy. I don't think he, you know, throws things around in the locker room. He, he doesn't seem to be that kind of guy, but he's a really good leader for that team, mainly because they have so many veterans, and, and he doesn't, there's not a whole lot I think he needs to do. Um, but the stuff that he does need to do, I think he does well. He's taking really good care of, of some of the younger kids on that team. And it's interesting to watch now that they've won the Cup a second time in three years, like you mentioned, and it's almost whole, it's almost the same exact group. All the key pieces are the same. They've added a couple of different pieces. You know, Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson were both very good, and they're very young. And it's really interesting to kind of watch the dynamics between the guys that have already won the Cup and are a little bit older, like the Dustin Brown, and the guys that are winning the Cup for the first time and are, are much younger, um, and kind of the way that they've handled the whole thing. Like, it's hard to say that Dustin Brown is like a wily veteran now, because he's still, he's not that old a guy, but he's been through so much in his career. And uh, I got a chance to talk to him after he won the Mark Messier Award at the uh, awards in Vegas. And, and to hear him talk about the psychology of having won a Cup 
and then going after another one. It kind of shows you what his leadership qualities are and, and the fact that, you know, he's like, it's almost worse now when you've won one because when you lose, you know what you lost. You know what that opportunity is. And he's like, when, was just, when I was young in my career, I was disappointed that I lost, but I had no idea the opportunity I was given away. And now I know what that opportunity is. And it's crushing when you think you have a chance to do it and you don't, like they did the year in between when they lost to Chicago because they were so beaten up. But uh, I, I think he's really good for that team. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, pretty impressive. I mean, look, there's going to be, uh, I mean, certainly, you know, no offense to all the people on the East Coast. And, you know, obviously my my other favorite team, the Penguins, are out there. We'll get to them in a minute. But my, I mean, the West Coast just looks stacked. I mean, between the Ducks and all of their, you know, they've got so many good young players coming in. And, and clearly they were the class of the league last year. But Chicago, obviously, is going to be phenomenal for as long as they can keep keep their core together, which I imagine they're going to. And the Kings, the Kings all there, pretty much most of their core are all together for a few more years, and they're really young, and, you know, the Sharks are still good, provided they don't tinker too much there. I mean, there's a lot of good teams here out in the West. It's somewhat scary. Yeah, and, and they're just going to get better. I mean, again, like, you, you look at the Kings, and, and they brought in those young kids, and, you know, they're not going to bring Willie Mitchell back, but they have Matt Green, who they can use as, in, in that top six, and they have some young guys coming up from Manchester. So they're going to be fantastic. And, you know, as we're doing this, I'm sitting here and Philly getting ready for the draft. He's going to change a lot of teams' fortunes. And, you know, it looks like Anaheim right now is going to get Ryan Kessler from, from Vancouver. I think that feels really close to being done. And Good. that's one of the problems that they had. I think they needed a guy like Kessler. And if they get him, they're, they're going to be a much better team than they were last year. And they were the class of the West last year. So um, that that conference just keeps on it's like it's like nuclear uh proliferation over there you know they just keep on putting more warheads and making sure the other guy can't attack well yeah i mean for the kings you know the the one guy that the people i mean people talk about him a lot but still i i don't really feel that the league realizes how good drew dowdy is and the guy's 24 years old he's won two cups at 24 as a defenseman, and I mean, he's not even close to being, I mean, he's probably still two or three years away from being in his prime. I mean, the upside of that guy is frightening if he continues to develop like he is. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, he didn't have a great year because a lot of people were like, hey, how come he's not one of the Norris finals? I mean, he had a good year. I don't think he was in that class. He was, he was, he was, he was, he had a, he had a concussion and he had some other, some other issues where he's kind of banged up here and there. Um, so I don't think he played to his potential, but in the playoffs, it's a whole different story. Oh, in the playoffs, he was the best player I saw in the playoffs, bar none, and I thought he should have won the, the conference. I mean, look, Williams is a, is a great pick, and he's a great story, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with him winning it. But I thought that he's out. He, you know, he played all the hard minutes against all the hard players. I mean, when you look at what he was stacked up against in the, in the run that they made, you know, he had to go against Joe Thornton, um, he had to go against Ryan Getzlaff, and then he had to go against Hayes and Kane. Like those were his primary, those were his primary jobs for the playoffs. And not only did he, when you go back and you look at the numbers those guys put up, they're not very impressive. But then he contributed on the offensive side as well, and, and you know, just like I said, eight huge amounts of minutes for them. 
and, you know, not even to a standstill, he won those minutes. I mean, he was the guy that every time he's out there, they won that matchup. So, you know, I thought for sure. And I think, I think if it had ended in four, because they re-vote every time um, when they do the comp smite, I think if it had ended in four, Drew probably would have won it. And and then I think, you know, the guys had some time to think about it, and, and Williams scored again in game five or had a point. I don't know, I can't even remember now. And I, I think that kind of swung the boat a little bit. I, I never saw the final play, but I think it was really close. Well, yeah, yeah, I was, you know, lucky enough, as you well know, to hang out with uh, a bunch of the media people over over the, the playoffs. And yeah, that was the big debate when it kind of got down to where it looked like the Kings were going to win. Is it going to be Williams or is it going to be Dowdy? So everybody was kind of saying that. I think, you know, I mean, Dowdy, like I said, he's still, he's still young, so that might have, you know, people have said, ah, we'll give it to Justin. He's had a, he's had a tough career, he's broke his leg twice, and you know, he's been an integral part of winning three cups. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with him winning. I think it's pretty cool. But, yeah, I think Dowdy was the best player. The thing about him, too, that, that people don't really realize is they don't get to see him. And I've been lucky enough in L.A. to see his whole career. And the guy blows me away with his talent. But he also is a guy like Greg. You know, I don't want to compare him to these guys, but he has a similar trait that, you, that I only see in very few players. Gretzky and Lemieux were, were two key players where they know where the puck's going to be before it even gets there. Like Dowdy would, especially in the playoffs, he would he would move. He would move before anything happened, and, and he would end up exactly where the puck was. So he knew two or three seconds before what was going to happen that the puck would be at this specific place. He'd get there, and he'd you know make a play. And that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that sort of puck sense. And it's rare to see that. I mean, it wasn't just on one or two occasions. I mean, it happened almost nightly, pretty much. Yeah, and, and, you know, like, when you talk about comparing players, like, in watching him this playoffs, I was, I was out west for the last three rounds, and, you know, I saw the Kings exclusively for the last 13 games that they played. Um, he reminds me a lot of Scott Niedemeyer. And, and Scott, you know, he only had one Norris trophy during his career because he played during a time when there were a lot of dominant defensemen. But to me, he was, he was the, I thought he was the best defenseman of his generation. Like I, I the way that he played the game, the way that he anticipated, the way that he skated, he didn't score a lot because he played for the Devils and that wasn't his job. They didn't want him to do that. Um but all he did was win. When you go back and you look at Scott Enemy's career, he won at every level. He won at the world junior level, he won at junior hockey level, he won at the Olympics, he won three Stanley Cups uh in the NHL. Um you know he four four sorry that's right uh, don't forget, don't forget the Anaheim Cup. Come on. You know, I thought he, I thought he wasn't there for the last Devil Cup. I didn't forget the Anaheim Cup. No, he wasn't. Three. He was three. For the first one. Pardon? He wasn't. wasn't there for the '95 Cup. He wasn't. I thought he had four cups. All right. Fine. Either way, um, and he won World World Championships. I mean, he literally won everything a player can win, and he did it very quietly. And that's kind of what Drew's doing now. You know, they're, they're, to me, they're kind of a similar player that way, that they just go out and do what needs to be done. And, and you know, as flashy as Scott could be at times, he wasn't a flashy player. He didn't want to show off his skills. When he needed to, he did it. Um, like the goal he scored against Detroit in the finals when he went length of the ice and, you know, scored that fantastic goal that I think really turned that series around and, and allowed the Devils to upset Detroit. But, uh, you know, Drew's the same way. He doesn't flash his a lot until he needs to. When his team needs him to do it, he's not shy about it. But then he just kind of goes back to being normal Drew, which is amazing, but it's not. You don't look at it and, and you know, be like, wow, that's, that's 
that's a special player. You know he's a special player, but he's not—he's not all dressed up with, you know, bells and whistles. It's just—it comes natural to him. Absolutely. So switch gears a little bit. So you are in Philadelphia for the draft, which is where you're taping this. The draft is this evening. So the big rumors are that there's going to be a zillion trades happening today and this evening. What's what's the word on the streets there? You can make some predictions beforehand, and we'll see by the time this airs if you were right about any of them. <laughs> well, I, I could mislead all of you and make the prediction right now and then gloat when it's all over, but as we are speaking doing this through the power of Twitter, which I can watch while I talk because I can multitask, it appears that, as I mentioned a little bit ago, that Kessler is being traded to Anaheim. Um, it looks like Anaheim... What's, is, what's the, do you know what the deal is? Well, what they're reporting right now is that it's going to be Benino and Spiza and, oh, wow. and, and Anaheim's first rounder. Wow, that's an awful lot for Ryan Kessler, quite honestly. I don't like that trade. A lot of people, a lot of people think it's not enough. Um, I, I'm somewhat with you. I don't know what he has left in the gas tank. Um, so, but it, it is one of the it is one of the Ducks' weaknesses to have that kind of power power center guy. I think um, so. You know, behind behind their big guns. Um, so it'll be interesting how it works out. But I think that's the first domino that's going to fall. And I think Vancouver is going to be really really um, active. I think they're trying to move Jason Garrison, but he has a no trade clause that he's got to get waived. Um, and, and a part of the reason that people think that it wasn't enough for Kessler is because he had a no trade clause, and there were teams trying to get on that list, and he he wasn't opening it up. He he had given them three or four teams. It was basically the Ducks. I think the Bruins might have been on that team on that list. The Penguins were definitely on that list. Um, he wanted to go to a contender, and and that kind of tied the the hands of the new GM out there, Jim Benning. So. You know, there's a couple more trades that are going to be out there. I think Florida's going to do something with their number one pick um, and move that for, for some established players. Um, and, and then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But uh, it, it, I think everybody was waiting for that first domino to fall. And then you also have Jason Speck out there. Hey, by, by the way, I've been, I've been Googling and Wikipedia as it's been going on. And as usual, I am correct. Scott Niedermeyer is a four-time Stanley Cup champion. Thank you very much. You know, and you're right. I, I just, I just now took down the, the the man who runs and edits NHL.com. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> but you know what's amazing part is, is if you go back and play the play the tape of this, the forensic evidence. I told you that I don't remember if you won the '95 Cup or not. And then I told you about the most greatest play of the 95 series when he went coast to coast on the Detroit Red Wings. So, thing <laughs> not well in my brain at that very moment. Um, well, you, we, we, can, we, can bro- we can blame Pierre Lebrun and uh, Scott Burnside for that, I think. Scott Burnside in the Las Vegas Lounge here in downtown Philly, that might be a possibility. But <laughs> All right. So, anyway, sorry to, then, sorry, sorry to interrupt your, your, your thought, but I had to, I had to interject. <laughs> that I was like, I knew he was a four-time Stanley Cup player. Anyway, so you know, we're talking about speaking of Niedermeyer and his fourth cup with the Ducks. We're talking about the Ducks. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I like Ryan Kessler. He's a good player. I guess we'll have to see how he fits. But people don't realize again because you know I'm a West Coaster, so I get to see these players. Like Nick Lenino is a really good player, and he was one of those guys that chipped in a lot of key goals. 
and, and you need you need to have those foot soldiers like that to be a successful team. Uh, and Spiza was also a very good up and coming defenseman. And they have quite a few defensemen, so I guess they could probably part with that. And you know, I, I always hate losing a number one pick, but that's you know three NHL players for one. That's an awful lot of guys for a guy that. That's an awful lot of players for a guy that's not even a point a guy point a, a game player. Yeah, no, and that's true. And I, but Vancouver needed to do that. They need to rebuild. To, to think they're not right on the cusp of a rebuild out there is is to be wrong. I mean, they are. Um, they they kind of need to overhaul that whole thing. And you know, I, I just think the, the one thing I think Anaheim wants out of Kessler is, like I said, almost that power center guy that that can you know he's still got some wheels I think. And and he's mean, you know. He he he's mean in like a different way than like you know a fourth line guy. He he's an agitator. He's you know he's one. Of, he, he he's a guy that you can use to match up. And I think the Ducks realized that they were missing that in the playoffs. They they couldn't get the matches they wanted um, at the center position. And now I think they have a little more uh, of an ability to do that. You know, I, I think they can win more of those second line matchups. Um, and then they'll win more first and second line matchups. You know, I was that's what's, what was happening with the Kings a lot is they were winning not only that first line matchup, they were winning that second line matchup because Carter was playing so well with the two kids, and they became a much harder team to defend because you could shut down Kopitar, and then the the that seventies show line would just take over games, and then when you shut them down. That's when the football line would play better. So, I, I think yeah, no, I, I mean, I I do agree that you know that strength down the center is going to be important for for the Ducks. And uh, I mean, look, if he can come here and kind of resurrect his career a bit, because you know he's definitely, I mean, in his prime, he was numbers up there in Vancouver offensively as well. And the past three years, it's really fall. He's really kind of fallen off the the tracks there in terms of that. So, I mean, he's had a lot of injuries and whatnot. So. I guess it just depends on, you know, how well he plays, how he fits in. It'll be interesting to see whom they put on that second line with him, too, because, um, you know, the Ducks, another reason why the Ducks were successful is they, similar to the Kings, would roll out four lines. But, um, you know, they definitely strength down the center and big guys down the center. Because, you know, you look at the Kings, you know, Kobitar and Carter are big dudes as their top two centers. So, Yeah, and Kobitar, I think we've had this discussion before, is way more physical and stronger than people give him credit for. Um, I, I mean, I, I, he's a beast. Oh, yeah, he's huge. <laughs> he's huge with an, with an immense amount of skill and a two-way player. I mean, he should have won the Selkie, but, you know, he'll get there. Yeah. East Coast yeah. bias as usual. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, like, look, this is the first time in a long time I've done all West Coast uh, playoff hockey. And it, it was eye-opening. And, and I'll be the first one to admit that. I do stay up late and I do watch the West Coast games. But it's different. Like, when you see it in person and, and you see the type of hockey that's being played out West, it's way different than the type of hockey that's being played out East. And and I, I don't think there was anybody in the East Coast other than maybe, maybe the Bruins, if they had played well, that could even hang with Chicago or L.A. To me, the Western Conference Final was the Stanley Cup Final. Yep. Nobody coming out of the East was going to beat him. And if Montreal had somehow beat the Rangers, uh, it might have been four games. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, look, I'm super lucky, especially living here in Southern California, being, you know, being, being deprived of good hockey for the most part of my entire life. 
Uh, it's amazing now to have two teams because both the Ducks and the Kings are really great teams and so much fun to watch. So it's a, uh, it's been, it's been a good year. And it, I mean, it should only get better. I mean, these teams are young. I mean, you know, there's nobody. I mean, the, the Ducks obviously are going to lose Solani and Koivu, but obviously they're replacing one of them with Kessler. So that's a, that's definitely nice. And they've got some young kids like Edom and, and Smith Pelly. He'll have a lot of speed and skill that are coming up as well. So, uh, so it's going to be good. Well, it's, it's interesting. Let's not forget the third team in California either. I mean, I think that Shark team is a good team. They have a couple of issues that they have to fix. They, you know, they have I, to I honestly worry, though, that, about the Sharks being the Vancouver Canucks, where they got so close and they could never close the deal, and they just kind of slowly went backwards from there. I mean, the first sign was, obviously, they got rid of Dan Boyle, who's far and away their best defenseman, uh, even though his age, he's still obviously really good. And now, you know, they're talking about rebuilding, and they're talking about making a bunch of moves, and it just seems like, you know, Thornton and Marlowe and those guys just aren't gelling well there. You know, the fans are on them, so I don't know what's going to happen up there. Yeah, no, I mean, they are, they're an interesting story for sure, but they're still an elite team. I mean, they have elite skills, and, and look, I mean, I think it's toxic now for those guys. They don't want to leave Marlowe and Thornton, and I don't blame them. I mean, they took the low-value money to sign there last year. Um, to be a part of that Shark team. And now, you know, like the GM comes out and says, you know, we want people that want to play for the Sharks, not just live in San Jose. And, you know, there's, there's some, clearly there's some frustration there and some issues there. But, like, if, if I'm Joe Thornton, I'm like, you can't trade me. Like, if I was going to play for another team, I would I would ask for more money. Um, so, and they're, they're going to be the best. I think they're, they're in Ottawa, if Spencer doesn't get traded here at the draft, I think they will be the two big summer soap operas. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, you know, when the GM starts talking about rebuilding, it's like, well, wow, that's... <laughs> I mean, I agree. I mean, they're, they're not that far away, but the, you know, the problem that they have is they're just in a, in a division with two teams that are just a little bit better than what they do. And there's definitely some sort of chemistry slash leadership on there because you you have to... You go back to, you know, where Thornton is always been considered soft in the playoffs and he's never really played that well in the playoffs. And you go back to Marlowe, Marlowe was the captain of that team for a while. They stripped him. Not only did they strip him of the captaincy, but he wasn't even assistant captain for a while. They stripped him of everything. And that was a whole big drama up there about that. So I just wonder about the chemistry in, in that room and how, you know, you're losing Boyle, who's a really good leader as well. So I just wonder if you know who's going to be the leader of that team? How are they going to how are they going to rebuild it? What are they going to do in goal? They they have a glaring weakness, I think, on defense as well. They've got you know two or three good guys, but that was really the, the key in the playoffs for them. And one of the reasons why that was four in a row to the Kings, the Kings figured out a way to to really neutralize their defense. And you know their defense in, in San Jose are really slow. Uh, of course, they also lost. Um, uh, Vlasic, who by far and away, I mean, along with Boyle, they're two best defensemen. You know, once Vlasic, yeah, no, no, that really no, helped them too. But that showed their weaknesses. Like once you lose Vlasic, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of other guys there that they're going to fill that role. Yeah, no, and and they're going to move Burns back to play defense because of that. You know, I, I think they're trying to build their build their uh, back line strike back up. I don't know, I don't know if that's the move to make, but. Uh, that they clearly think it is that he'd be as effective, if not more effective, from the from the blue line. I, I don't know that he reads the game that well from from the blue line, but uh, slow, slow again, slow. You, you yeah. can't, uh, you know, in a league like this with teams, you know, especially Anaheim. I mean, Anaheim has 
so much speed. Uh, you know, you can't have a you can't have a slow defense. I mean, Chicago, I mean, speed. I mean, you know, all these teams, and you know, the Kings. You know, the Kings don't look like they're a fast team, but they play really quickly. Yeah, no, and you know, the most amazing thing to me about the Kings and watching them in the playoffs this year was, I think, in the 13 games I saw, and I, I might be exaggerating a little, but not very much, they iced the puck 25 times in 13 games. They never iced the puck. And they... There's no team in the league that is as good. The reason they don't ice the puck is because there's no team that's as good at getting the puck out of their end fast. Like, their team gets the puck wherever it is in the, in the defensive zone, and he, he knows where forward is going to be, and he hits them, and then there's that second pass through the neutral zone, and they're on their path, and they have everybody on their heels trying to come back and, and, and defend. You know, there's no, you're not going through the picket line because they don't have time to set up the picket line because you're able to move out of your end so quick. There's no team in the league that can do it as quickly as they can. And that's a huge, huge <laughs> weapon. They never dump the puck. They never dump the Yeah, absolutely. Would it? And we want to go back and get it. Like, they never do that. No, and they have, you know, they have, aside, you know, Green and Mitchell aside, I mean, Martinez, Voinov, Muzzin, and Downey all are extremely good skaters and amazing passers so you know they jump in on the play all the time but they're they're smart enough and quick enough to get back if they you know they don't also the thing is they don't get caught very often either i mean obviously there was the one game um against chicago where they gave up county made a mistake and the muslim made a mistake and they had odd man rushes but they rarely give up in fact i don't against the rangers they gave up just a very few odd man rushes they don't get caught too many times uh and usually quick is good enough to bail them out although they, you know, they had that nice Kreider goal that the Rangers had. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the quickness from, from behind is, uh, is very impressive with that team, too. And that, that's a big something that Sharks really don't have. And now, without Boyle, you know, you're losing your, your top offensive guy, too. Like, who's going to quarterback? Cause, I mean, really, one of the big reasons why the Sharks are so successful in the regular season is there. Their power play is usually amazing. And now you've lost the quarterback. You've lost your quarterback on the power play. Yeah, and, and, and you, well, I guess maybe they think Burns is going to do that. I, I don't know. Um, but it, it's not, it's not a great situation for them. Um, and they're, they're the one team where you kind of, when you, when you look at the Western Conference and everybody's either staying the same or going up or going down, they're one of those teams where you don't really see them going up. They're either going to hold for another year or they're going to go down. Like they don't have, I, they don't have an upside, you know. Like a team like Dallas has an upside. Um, other teams out west have that upside. Minnesota, I think, has that upside. They really impress me in the playoffs. And San Jose doesn't have that. They're either hold right where they are for another year or two, unless they make changes, or they're going to go down. So now, where? Uh, so okay, so Kessler's going to go to Anaheim. So that's that's the one of the big free agents. So I guess the other one everybody's talking about is well, he was a free agent for the, the trade. The other one is where is Ryan Miller going to go now? There's not much of a market out there for him right now, I don't think. Uh, and Jose? I mean, they need a goaltender. Yeah, and I, I could see Vancouver doing it too because I don't know if they want to go to into the next season with Eddie Locke as their, as their number one. Um, completely unproven. So, but this, this, he's not going to... He's not going to be chased like I think people thought he was going to be chased, and I, and I think he'll get a very um, unfriendly deal. 
Um, so no, and I guess with Kessler going to Anaheim, that kind of rules out Anaheim because there were some rumors that he might go there. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. You know, I think, I think a lot of people are still waiting. The, the cast number for next year hasn't come out. Um, it's got to come out today or tomorrow. Uh, I guess they could hold it till Sunday, but they need to know before free agency opens. Um, yep. And it, it's such a big deal for these teams as they try to figure out what they're going to do. You know, it's written somewhere in the 68 to 71 range, most likely. But if it comes in at 68, that kills some teams that are sitting right on the path. You know, a team like the Brewers, a team like Chicago, who is probably going to give Kane and Pays long-term big money extensions on July 1st. You know, a lot of these teams are going to be in salary cap handcuffs, and they really need to know what the cap is, and that's going to affect who they sign and, and what kind of trades they're able to make. Yeah, well, I guess the, the other big team that, that talking about making a lot of deals now is uh, the Penguins, because obviously the Penguins, you know, they finally hired a coach, and, uh, you know, they need to they need to add to their, their third or fourth lines. It's really where their big, biggest problems are. So there's a lot of rumors about Neil going someplace, and, you know, I don't know, a lot of people are not very happy with the job that Rutherford's done so far, and, the co- you know, they they lost two got two coaches that they wanted that wouldn't coach there. You know, as much as I like the Penguins, I'm a little I'm a little worried. Yeah, and and that I think the perception of what's happening there is is a legitimate reason to worry. You know, they didn't get the guy that they wanted initially. Um, Carolina beat them uh, to the first guy, and then uh, and then from every report you you read, it was uh, Willie Desjardins who ended up coaching the Canucks turn them down flat. And, and you know, there's been a number of reasons why that happened, whether it was term, how many years they were willing to give them. Part of it, I think, was assistant coaches. Um, you know, I, I think Willie wanted full, uh, full control over who his assistants were, and I don't think the Penguins wanted to do that. I mean, obviously they didn't, because they named Rick Tockett as one of the assistant coaches. And Rick Tockett and, and Mike Johnston, who is the new coach in Pittsburgh, don't have any type of relationship. So, um I think that was part of it. And then I think he wanted to go home. You know, I think Willie wanted to go back to Western Canada, where he came from, and, and that job was more uh, attractive. But I think the one thing that all those guys, when they looked at that job, is the pressure to win is becoming suffocating for that team because of the window um, that's open right now. And, and, you know, I saw Sidney Crosby at awards and, um, the one thing he said that, that I had heard numerous times from other people and he kind of confirmed was he was like, look, you know, we just, we need to have fun. Like, that's why we play hockey. You know, we want to win. He goes, but we're thinking about the playoffs like in game one. Like, we're not enjoying the process anymore. It's become so overwhelming that we can't enjoy playing hockey because we're always worrying about what we're going to do when the playoffs start. And that's no way to go through a season. And we need to figure out how to bring that joy back. Well, they they des- they desperately need leadership on that team. And I've been saying this for years. And I mean, if you look at Biles, you know, as much as I liked him as a coach, if you look at his track record in the playoffs, not only with the Penguins, but, you know, what happened with the U.S. Olympic team. I mean, he clearly is not pushing the right buttons when it gets there. And, and you know, you know, Crosby's still a young, a young guy. And, when you look at, at Chicago, for example, where you know they have a young captain in Tate, you know they've got guys like Patrick Sharp and you know some older guys that are really good leaders. Same thing with the Kings, 
you know, with Dustin Brown, you know, they, you, they need to have that chemistry of some older guys in there that can, that can, you know, that have a lot of respect in the league that can kind of come in and help, but they've got to be there a whole year. Like they try to add it at the end, like they added again at the end. It's like, but you know, Jerome's not going to come in, you know, at the end of the season and become a leader of that team. It's something that takes galvanizing throughout the whole season. So they, they got to do something there. Big time. I was also, I was watching, because I was, I always kind of liked French Cheryl, but then I looked at his drafting and I realized, like, well, that's one of the big reasons why that why they have not been competing the Penguins. If you look at the Kings, all through the draft, you look at the Blackhawks, all through the draft, all these elite teams now, for the most part, their their key players are all coming through through the draft. And the Penguins didn't draft hardly anything. In fact, I watched the other day. Uh, just because it was on my VCR. I was like, oh, I haven't seen that for a while. It's always interesting to go back and look at old drafts. So the 2006 draft, and that was the draft where the Penguins took Jordan Stahl second overall. And look, Jordan Stahl is a great player. And clearly they won a cup with him and being the third-line center. But do you know who they could have drafted in that same spot? Uh, no. Jonathan Taves. And there was a yeah. lot of debate There was a lot of debate back there because their top four guys were Taves, Stahl, um, uh, Eric Johnson went first overall, which I mean, he's not a bust, but you know, not a first overall pick. And I'm trying to remember who the who the fourth the fourth player was. Oh, Phil Kessel. So those were the top four guys. And the Penguins, like everybody, kind of thought that they should take Taze. The Taze was the guy that should go second overall, but the Penguins still, took Stall. So yeah, can you imagine if they had Crosby, Malkin, and Jonathan Taze? That's like Edmonton Oiler, you know, Gretzky, Curry, all those guys. Good. That's you know, I, I think the same thing that happened with Jordan Stall would have happened in that scenario where one of them would have been, I'm way, way, way too good to be playing third line center. Um, because they're all young and cycle, you know, when you get older in your career and you want to win, then you're like, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll play some third line center, that's okay. Um, you know, because it's going to help the team win, but those guys, with the, and I don't mean this in a bad way, with the youthful egos that they had, that would be a little too much juice. Hey, but look, it could have been, it might have been a disaster to have those, you know, three players like that on a team, but, you know, maybe they could have, you know, I mean, Malkin is a very good winger, and sometimes I think he plays better on the wing than it's better. So, I mean, you could have, you know, you could have put Crosby and Malkin together for the most part on the first line that had Taves and whoever else in the second line. I mean, it would have been interesting to see. <laughs> That's for sure. But, you know, like everybody tells the, the Titans for their draft, and, and there, there's, there's a part to that, you know, they have, they don't have a lot in the pipeline, but the other part of it is, A, they're drafting really late, you know, since 2009, they've drafted in the bottom half of the draft, and, and they've traded, the number of picks they've traded to bring in all the guys they brought in to either win a cup, or to try and win a cup, the the Garens, the Gimlets, all those guys, the the Rutus, all those guys, like, they gave up a lot of pieces and a lot of not only prospects but a lot of draft picks. And I I would think that they're probably in the bottom third of the league in the last five years for the number of picks that they've made. And it is a it is a percentage thing, man. If you make fifteen picks and let's say the the return rate is thirty three percent league wide, you know that's five guys. If you only make eight picks, that's two and a quarter guys. So, like, that's a part of it. I mean, you can question, you know, the, the thought process behind all of it, but just in a, in a quantitative thing, the, the decision that they made to divest themselves of a lot of 
future assets for a win now attitude have come back to haunt them. And you can't have it both ways. You can't, as a Penguins fan, be like, I want them to go for it every year because the window's open and they need to do this. And then when it doesn't work out, say the next year, say, well, well, you suck at the draft because you give it all your ammunition away. Yeah, exactly. Well, unfortunately, we got to wrap this up pretty quickly here. So is there any other big big news that you can give me in two minutes, Sean, uh, before we wrap everything up here? No, I don't. I think like, this is covered all. Like, like I said, I think the other big thing is going to be the Spencer deal, and, and I'm curious to see if he goes to St. Louis as, as the West continues to build in the arms race. The, uh, St. Louis just signed Patrick Berglund to a very friendly deal. And it may be a burglary discussion and a few minor pieces that happened there. So, uh, that's about it, man. And then we got free agency, what some people call a silly season. So it's July 1st. There will be some early fireworks, but the class is not that good. And then, uh, hopefully things will mellow out for a couple of months and I can, uh, can enjoy a little bit of the summer, maybe play a little bit. <laughs> there you goes. go. We'll, uh, we'll see if that happens. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you there. So, and that's going to do it for this month. So we'll talk to you guys next month. Hopefully Sean will be a little bit more rested after all the insanity and he won't make mistakes like figuring out, forgetting how many Stanley Cups Scott Eater might have won. I'll probably still make mistakes like that. That's pretty much <laughs> <laughs> so it. I don't think of a good excuse, then I'm okay. Sometimes I can't even think of a good excuse that I'm just an idiot. So uh, <laughs> every time I had it, it's time. All right, perfect. Well, we'll see you guys next month. Enjoy your summer. And, uh, We'll talk uh, next month some more uh, football, baseball, IndyCar, and all that good stuff. So, anyway, see you guys next month. Thanks a lot.